Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Michael has an explanation that he told me and I promptly forgot, but he has an explanation. Yep. There is an explanation exists. Very, very vertical at the backswing, and then he falls back, so at the irons, a little shorter, it's, it's easier for him to be steep into the ball, and he can throw his hands, almost like if you're, you're hitting a, uh, a draw spin forehand. And with the driver, it's going to be harder to square that up. But your clubs, Chris, they must cost thousands of dollars each. They were brand new, and Again, the blue on the I'm driver hand was gorgeous. Focused. I'm very focused on how I look getting off the bus before the match, <laughs> you know? The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Just as a note, our thanks to the people at the United States Naval Academy for talking about the fact that um, on this podcast last week, we talked, Michael and I talked about our experience playing golf at the Naval Academy, and they sent out a link to the podcast to, you know, former and current people at the Naval Academy. It's just, it's sort of humbling. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're interested in the gambling picks. You know, yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. I'm, it, I'm very, yeah, it's humbling. Very nice. Thanks again for all of that. Another email. Like, I get this email. The email comes in on Wednesday, November 10th. And, and I'm just going to read it. Just, hey, DG, Richie Lobel's friend, ever hang out at Nathan's Oceanside? I did, 68 to 70. Nice girls and bikers. Also, Jan, Springfield Boulevard, near Little Neck. Regards, DG. I have no idea who this is. So I have absolutely no idea who this is. And then I go into my locker at Columbia. I go into my locker at Columbia. And there's a sleeve of um, golf balls left for me. You know, that's I, nice. I didn't. No, yeah. They're tailor-made golf balls. I didn't buy them. And there's a note. And the note is from someone named David Goldstein. And he writes to me, and it's his handwriting, it's in my locker. Well, he writes to me, hey, uh, I'm Richie Lobel's friend. You remember when we we were at PGA West together and we had that conversation? And he leaves a number. He leaves a number. I don't remember anything, but let me tell you who Richie Lobel is. Richie Lobel, when I was in high school at Hewlett High School, was the best basketball player on Valley Stream South High School. He was a guard, point guard, Valley Stream South High School. And what I remembered most about Valley Stream South High School was unlike all the other schools, they actually wore short sleeve shirts, you know, that came over their shoulders. They were short sleeve t-shirts on the front that said South. There was a number on the back. Nobody had names on the back in those days, just a number. And I remember that this guy was a really good player. He was Valley Stream South's equivalent of Stephen Pearsall. Uh, shout out Gooch. Stephen Pearsall at my high school at Hewlett. And I remember that Richie Lobel had gone to Harvard. And because Stephen Pearsall went to Penn, I just assumed they played against each other in college because both played. And like they did in high school. And I assumed that there was great mutual respect. And so I always sort of... Though I never met Richie Lobel. I've never met him in my life. I know that name. I know who he is. He was a really good player, as is and was Gooch. So I call this guy, David Goldstein. I call him. From your number. From my number. Okay. So now he has my no, I might have number. Used the, I might have used the club number just as a <laughs> no, just I, one more. I call him. Level. And, he, and he said, you remembered, you remembered. And, 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 no, I didn't remember. I didn't remember. But we had a nice chat. And he left me a sleeve of golf balls, and, and there's a film familiarity when he says, hey, D DG here. Like, I don't, who's, <laughs> right? But he's talking about Nathan's, which was, you know, a fast food place on Long Beach Road in, in Oceanside. Had pretty cool bikers there. Yeah, well, I, I didn't remember the bikers, but they had nice <laughs> girls, apparently. We used to go there for lunch. We used to get in the car, drive as fast as we could from Hewlett High School to Nathan's, get something, put it back in the car, drive as fast as we could back to Hewlett, and go to class I on 6th I can't be the period. only one. As you're telling this story, all I'm hearing in my head is, be true to your school. That's right. <laughs> Mike loves singing lead for the Beach Boys at that point. So that was just so weird for me. That just is. Just so weird. Um just weird football let's get into a couple of things i i don't know how much you watched um the washington football team had a great day oh yes they had a great day the last time they had the ball they drove the length of the field it took 10 full minutes and they and capitalized half. on a fourth down instead of going for a field goal instead of doing anything else they tried for the touchdown and got it against tampa bay tampa bay is not as good this year 
as they were last year when they were the Super Bowl champs. But they might be by the end of the year. You don't know. Tom Brady doesn't look quite as good the last few weeks as he did at the beginning of the year. But they're missing Gronkowski. They're missing a few people. So you don't know. But that's an enormous win for Washington. And Taylor Heineke, who plays well, very well against this particular team, Tampa Bay, is exciting to watch. Spins and ducks. I'm good with him. Sure. You don't have to get another guy. I'm good with him. It's all right. It's always exciting to watch. Always exciting. I mean, just looked at what they were able to do with the uh, with the first four possessions where they're scoring. But even in that last drive, you said the most Washington thing would be okay. You have a long drive, maybe seven minutes. You have to settle for the field goal, and all of a sudden they lose. Right. To a, Brady you know, goes two, down yeah, the field. Two minutes. Right. Right. Brady goes down the field. So this didn't give them the chance. Uh, but Packers, you lose in the win with Chase Young. Well, people get injured. Yeah. Yeah. People get injured. Um, Packers beat the Seahawks, shut them out. Shutouts very rare, very rare in the NFL. 17-0 in the snow. A little bit of snow flurries by the third and fourth quarter. Aaron Rodgers looks good. Russell Wilson does not. Yeah. Russell Wilson out a lot longer. Russell Wilson has actual rust, out four or five, six weeks. Aaron Rodgers out for a little bit. Night game, Chiefs and Raiders. Everybody's going to tell you how great the Chiefs looked. That, that game is three points at the beginning of the fourth quarter. It's a three-point game, and if Deshaun Jackson doesn't fumble, maybe it goes the other way. Don't get carried away yet with the Kansas City Chiefs. Vikings-Chargers, good game. Yeah. Good game, Vikings-Chargers. Thought you were going to spend some time with the Pittsburgh game. Hmm? Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh-Detroit? Yeah. That overtime was terrible. It was terrible. It was terrible. Nobody could do anything in that overtime. That was incompetence. At least the Steelers can say we didn't have our starting quarterback. So you're watching that in real time as we're on the phone. And I just hear you because I'm driving to the safe. We just go, oh, my, this won't end. It just just was terrible. And it ends in a tie. And that's rare. Easiest calls of the week. Bills and Cowboys bouncing back. Oh, yeah. The big wins there. Um the Carolina Panthers beat the Cardinals. The Cardinals didn't have, they didn't have their starting quarterback, Kyler Murray. They put in Colt McCoy, who I loved last week and was bad this week. And that's why Colt McCoy is not a starter. But the first two times Cam Newton got in the game, he produced touchdowns. I'm back. And he screamed, I'm back, I'm back. <laughs> and then he got a penalty for it, which is justified, I'm sure. Great storyline coming up, though. Against Ron Rivera. Um, Carolina hosts the Washington football team next Sunday. Ooh. Ron Rivera very specifically did not want Cam Newton in Washington. Did not. Took anybody else but Cam Newton when Cam Newton was available. We'll see how that works out. Let's just see. And the New England Patriots. forty-five. The New England Patriots now look like a playoff team. You know, it, it like hold all mutual tickets. On the Brady-Belichick thing. Because down the road, maybe, maybe Brady plays this year and next, or maybe just this. Maybe Belichick coaches three more years, and maybe he gets to a Super Bowl with Mac Jones. Like That would be a win-win. Yeah, the, fir- the first year changes everything, though. It's a, I understand. I understand, but you got to play the long game if you're not able to play the short game. But my, some of those you know. throws by Jones yesterday that uh, I think it was the second or the third touchdown in, in between two defenders. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he looked, he looked great. The defense, they're, 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 playing, uh, they're playing brilliant ball right now. You know, at, they are. Now, Cleveland, Cleveland fell back to earth. Yes. Okay, Cleveland, as last week we said how nobody needs Odell Beckham Jr. Well, Cleveland could have used Odell Beckham Jr. yesterday. They weren't. They were not very good. And these things happen as well. It's. It's. Don't make rash statements about what's going to happen. Um, from a local standpoint, and this is a Washington D.C. thing. Sam Huff died over the weekend at age eighty-seven. We will have Lenny Shapiro, who covered the Washington team, which was then called the Redskins, and I noted in the obituaries that. That was always written in, then called Washington Redskins. So I want to be on the right side of politics here and point out that that's what the team was called then. Sam Huff then did uh, broadcasts. Sonny and Sam with Frank Herzog broadcast for 30 years together before the team was broken up. That was a great broadcast. Not good. That was a great broadcast. Sonny, Sam, and Frank which is how everybody referred to it, Sonny, Sam, and Frank. That was a great broadcast. It was never as good with anybody else. Um, and 
Sam Huff was a big deal in Washington and a big deal in New York. And we will talk to Wilbon about him a little bit and talk to Lenny about him a little bit. He will be the melancholy trails to Sam Huff today on the PTI show. And, and I concede that that's because Mike and I know him or knew him. I concede that, you know, that I was so happy to see that the Washington Post put that obituary on A1 yesterday and not inside. Uh, that somebody at the Washington Post remembers what a towering presence Sam Huff was in the NFL, Hall of Famer in the NFL and in Washington. So I was glad about that. So we will take a break and we will return with Mike Wilbon, talk a little bit about football, talk a little bit about Sam Huff when we come back. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a solo stove ad. There's nothing quite like the feeling of gathering around a warm fire on a cool evening. And a smokeless fire pit from Solo Stove makes your outdoor moments even more memorable. Because instead of having to dodge campfire fumes constantly, you can sit back, relax, and actually enjoy the fire. And this year, you can shop Solo Stove Black Friday sale early. You can get great deals on a Solo Stove fire pit through November 18th. I'll get back to that. I've walked through the neighborhood in my, in my surroundings walking the dog. I see people, I don't know if they're solo stoves. It's the I assume, it accessory. I, I see people sitting around with this all the time. Sure. Makes me want to have one of these things. <laughs> Makes me at least hope my son, who has one of these things, will invite me to his home to sit around a fire pit. Now that the leaves have turned, it looks so just so stately there with its little cap on and its spark <laughs> guard. Wow. Solo stove fire pits are <clears throat> brilliantly engineered. They're made with premium grade 304 stainless steel and a 360 degree airflow system that maximizes efficiency while minimizing smoke. It's easy to light with a few bits of starter. Your fire is blazing in minutes and it's perfectly portable. You can take it with you on camping trips. I'm not going on a camping trip. Yeah, you're not a big camper. No, I'm not. But I would go again to my son's house if he invited me. <laughs> Shop Solo Stove's best deals of the year early from November 11th through the 18th. That's right now. That's right now. Get $10 off with the promo code Tony K, plus a lifetime warranty and free 30-day returns. Get the extra $10 off the early Black Friday sale at solostove.com, and the promo code is Tony K. Use the code, people. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Our friend Michael Granberry sends us this music. And it's by Val McCallum, who has given his permission to have us play the two songs he co-wrote. He and Bo Thayer wrote Open and Endless. That's what's being played now, which appears on the recent album, Bo Bo DeLune. And you may have heard of the guy with whom Val shares co-writing credit on the song we're going to play later, My Cleveland Heart, a fellow by the name of Jackson Brown, inductee into the Rock and yeah, Roll Hall of Fame. At the moment, Val's on the road with Jackson, who's in the midst of a national tour with James Taylor. The tour carries on through the South until both bands take a break for Thanksgiving. And of course, Val's incredible guitar playing will be showcased at all of their tour stops. My thanks to Michael Granberry for sending this to us, who's a friend of the show in the Dallas area. And thanks to Val McCallum for playing in Michael Wilbon with a song called Open and Endless. So we're going to talk about football, Wilbon and I. But I'm going to start with Sam Huff. There was this one time, as Mike well knows, I don't know what, we were at a Super Bowl. I'm sure Washington was in the Super Bowl, which means it was probably in, I don't know, San Diego or Los Angeles or Tampa or someplace where they played. And we were at a, we sat at a table and had lunch with Sonny and Sam. And afterwards, I said to Mike, this is incredible. These are two of the greatest football players of all time, of all time. Um, you remember that, right? You remember that lunch. Tony, yeah, I don't, I don't remember where it was, and and I, yeah, it had to be Super Bowl because, yeah, Sam wouldn't have necessarily been on the road. Well, you know, Tony, it could have been a regular season game. Um, it's not like those guys weren't; they were there for every game. Yes, every they were game for decades. So, but yeah, but I, 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 I don't remember when it was. I just remember that it was, and um, you know, obviously, I worked with Sonny for yeah. 13 years uh, doing the, the, the Redskins report with George Michael. 
and, and Sonny and John Riggins. And even then, that would also bring me in contact with Sam on a few occasions. And it was just like, you know, it was like being in a museum to be able to listen to them. And while people don't care about that, there are two generations of people who don't give a damn about anything other than themselves, largely. There were, you know, there was a, a magic to it for people like us. And you wanted to just say, to, can you tell another one, Sam? Can you tell another story about Tom Landry and Vince Lombardi and the Giants? Can you tell another story about George Allen? And it just, it was magic. It really was. So, I mean, things happen. You get older, you meet other people. You are very good friends with Charles Barkley, who's an enormous, I would say he's the most important sports voice in America. You've become good friends over the years with Michael Jordan and other people in the basketball world. And I won't say I've become good friends, but I know a lot of people. And I'm comfortable sitting and chatting with a lot of people. But that stands out to me. Because that was over 30 years ago. That stands out to me because I, yeah. I, it was that sort of out-of-body thing where you're talking to yourself silently and you're going, my God, I'm sitting here, we're eating with two guys in the Hall of Fame, two of the greatest players of all time, first ballot Hall yeah. of Fame guys, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, yeah. yes. Um, and Tony, I, I've you know been lucky in that even when my time covering the, the, the football team in Washington was done, I, I still covered the NFL. And those, those moments, those sessions, one morning I was sitting at the Super Bowl, and I know it was Super Bowl, and a guy, I'm at a big table, big round table for Tim, by myself, Super Bowl morning, I don't know, 1985-something. And a guy who was massive, uh, and distinctive, and I know who he is. The moment he's approaching the table to sit down with his breakfast, him and his wife, it's Ray Nitschke. Oh, and yeah, just... Ray Nitschke and I grew up the same place. People, people don't think about, you know, I mean, Ray Nitschke is another name like Sam Huff. Ray, Ray, Nitschke, Bay Packers, Ray baby. Nitschke, man. Yep. Ray yep. Nitschke and Dick Butkus went to Chicago Vocational High School, CVS on the south side of Chicago. And he said, can I, can I sit down? Excuse me. I'm like, yeah. And he sticks out his hand. He says, I'm Ray Nitschke. I said, yeah, I know. I know. And for the next hour and a half on Super Bowl morning, I just listened and talked to Ray Nitschke. And I'm never going to forget that in my whole life. I and have. So I, you know, I have more, yeah. more, more incidents like that with Sam, but you, you don't forget any of them. You just don't. I had an occasion. I was at, at some point in a golf tournament you know, one of those celebrity things. And it was early in the morning. It was two hours before tee off. And because I was old, I was up and I was walking around in the hotel lobby. And I end up talking to a guy who I know, it's the same thing as you, the immediate recognition. And he's telling me, yeah, I get up early. I got prostate problems. That guy's Bob Cousy, who's still alive. Oh, jeez. I... Call my father. As soon as that conversation wow. is open, my father wow. is still alive, and I go, Dad, you're just not going to believe this. Wow. And because even though I'm an invited guest and a celebrity, it, you know, this is Bob Cousy. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's Bob yeah. Cousy. And, and I so agree with you when you say that there are people probably no older than the age of 40 who have never studied the history of sports and don't know yeah. any of these people and don't care about them and yeah. think that sports yeah. began with ESPN. They do. Yeah, it makes, it makes me angry. It makes me angry. Yeah. I, it just, I, I just want to turn and walk away from, from them. And I know it's a different world. And, but, yeah, th- those instances, Tony, where we have had that, I've had that at some golf you know, tournaments as well. But, you know, places like the Super Bowl, you, you can't even predict where you're going to have them. Yeah. But they, 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 they just they light me up um, when you're able to meet people that you've known of and their feet all your life. And they are legendary. They are iconic figures, truly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, Tony, I never took for granted sitting on a Saturday well, it was, it was sitting on Thursday night. Sometimes you subbed in, so you know what this was like. 
Yep. But up at WRC on the you know off of Nebraska yep. Avenue, on Nebraska Avenue with 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 Sonny and Sam, if, or Sam might pop in. Sam wasn't on that show with George, but you could you could just sit with them, and and, and of course John Riggins. I never took that for granted. I, I'm not even a. I don't care about the Washington football team. I never did. Didn't didn't have to. It was those guys and their Hall of Fame stature that I don't know. It just it's just sort of lorded over everything. And while they were larger than life, while you were there in that circumstance working with them, you know they they were accepting. And so uh, you know, so when I, when I when I saw that Sam Huff passed the other night, it just you know. Um, brought about all those those feelings and uh, great sadness. Oh, I was I, I mentioned earlier in the show. I'm so glad the Post had the obit on A1, and I said that I immediately wrote to Kelleher and I said we're going to do Melancholy Trails to Sam Huff. You know, we're, yeah. we're going to, and he said yes, of course we are. Yes, we are. Yeah. Now it may yeah. not mean as much in other cities, but for Mike and I, it's a big deal. One of the great perks yeah. of being a sports writer is that you get. These moments happen to you. You are standing around with someone every once in a while that you have looked at for years and years and years. And it doesn't even have to be somebody older than you. I, I told, well, I didn't tell you this. I ran into Cal Ripken at the Naval Academy golf course. Cal oh, wow. Ripken. And we, I said, yeah. Cal. And he says, Tony. Yeah. And we have a nice chat. And I think to myself, yeah. how does this happen? You know, it just, yeah. so that's. That's the great perk of being a sports writer. I'm certain that political writers feel the same way about the politicians that they meet and get to just Tony, chat with. I, I, have, I don't know. I don't. I bet. But I bet it's no? much rarer. I bet. I bet it's much rarer because they never necessarily idolize. They didn't. They were, you know, they were they were larger than life figures, but in a different way. You, you never stood for them. Because they wore the name, maybe of your own city, across their chest. Yeah, and that's right. You, that's right. You, You're right. You know, remember, remember when you used to say, uh, and this is <laughs> this this story is great. It was great that you came up with this from the eighty, no, from the yeah, from the eighties. And you would say, if 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 a restaurant was completely packed, who in Chicago and the finest restaurants would get the seat? Mike Ditka, Michael Jordan, or Oprah Winfrey? And I said to you, Tony, this isn't even close. Because Oprah never, Oprah never walked into a place and had Chicago across yeah. what she was wearing. Yeah. It's not close. Yeah. While she is one of the great world figures, and, and bigger than Ditka, but not, but not bigger than Jordan. But it would never be close. People would say, yeah, uh, Missy, can you just wait over there? We're going to get you a seat in the bed. <laughs> Yeah, no, but we're, that's true. But we're gonna see. We're gonna see the. We're gonna see the two guys with the cigars in their mouths first, <laughs> because those people you stood and you, you yelled them. for, and you applauded, and you cried when they lost, and you exulted when they won, and so yeah, I mean, people had that. You know, I even had that with Sam Huff, but I I know what that is like to then. You know, be around those guys, like you said, just even standing around and run into them, much less know them and be on a first name basis. It's sort of it, it, it's it's sort of jolting. And you and I have been having this experience now, each of us, for for you for fifty years and me for forty yeah, that's right. plus. That's right. You, you don't you don't you don't get over. It. I don't I don't think that while you're in awe maybe of the poli- of the political person that you know everyone in the world knows, I don't think it's the same. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's the same routinely. I will uh, move this to football just a little bit. Um, I'm not particularly surprised about anything that happened yesterday in the NFL. I mean, the bounce-back games I figured on, and I, one or two surprises. But, again, even if you talk about Carolina being a surprise, Kyler Murray's not playing. That, that's meaningful. And my boy Colt McCoy was not up to it for a second week. But I'll tell you what surprised me more than anything else. And I wonder what this school does about this. Kansas beat Texas, Mike. Kansas. 
They hadn't yeah. won a road game against Texas in like a hundred. The <laughs> Texas yeah. stinks. This is yeah. Texas. Texas. Yeah. Well, what do you make of this? Be, well, look, Tony, I, I, my alma mater in that context used to be Texas. I mean, it used to be Kansas. Yes, yes. used to be Kansas. Yes. Okay, and so, and so it's not like we routinely win these things, but we routinely have had nine and ten win seasons now. So, so it isn't the, sh- and it was a shock. I mean, that we beat Notre Dame and we beat Notre Dame and Michigan back. I don't know if it was back to back, but we beat them to go to the Rose, to, you know, to set up the Rose Bowl season. And it was a shock, but then it becomes less a shock if that school follows up. So, if Kansas is now going to have seasons where it's in bowl games and where it's got ten wins and where it could be in the conference title game. Then it then it moves. Then it, you look back as not. They got the one same win. Victory. I, that's not, that's they now. stink. That's if you if you're running the University of Texas, what are you thinking yeah. this morning? Mm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, they they haven't been a factor for a couple of years anyway. That's and right. Again, it, it entirely depends on whether or not Kansas just you know goes on down that road as Kansas or. Whether Kansas, you know, puts something together and starts becoming a program that can pop up and beat anybody in the conference occasionally. So it, 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 it entirely depends on that. But yes, today, today, right now, your Texas is like, wow, man, are you kidding me? We've had, Mike and I had this discussion yesterday. I called him, so I'll just bring it up to get you out of here. There's no great team in the NFL, Mm-mm. there's Mm-mm. no great team. I mean, I. I don't, if you ask me now, or in college football, right? Halfway through the season, you ask me, will you take, you give me three teams on the field. I'm going to take the field because I don't know who I like. Is there anybody you like at the moment? I take the field. No, I take the field. I have no, no. And that's, I know one of the things I, I said to you was Tony, the NFL and the NBA are having the same season. They're having the same season. And, you know, you, you, yeah, there's no great team. Now, I think that's a great thing. I do. Because yes. I, I, I'm familiar with all of the teams, the franchises, the, you know, in most cases still the ownership, the star players, the arena, what it feels like to go into every place from Madison Square Garden to Salt Lake City and every place in between. And so for me, the same thing with the NFL. The same thing with the NFL, every place. What it feels like in November when it starts to snow. I'm, I'm familiar with all of it. And so I love that. Most people don't. They can't latch on to that. Again, most people now can't even pay attention to one thing, one city, one. I mean, it, they, multiple things. They can only pay attention to one. And so they don't, it doesn't mean anything. I, I like it. Now, it doesn't mean I love it come January. Let's see. But I like it now. And we've, you've had parody in football before. You've never had it. Tony, tell me how many times since the merger, and it might, be in, it might be the whole history, tell me how many times nobody in the NBA has won 60 games in a season. Tell me how many. Uh, nobody won 60. I, I, out of 82? Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I, I would say... I would say there were teams that won 58-59, you know, like the yeah, the Bullets yeah, at one yeah. point. I'd say maybe yeah. six or eight times. I'd say maybe yeah, six one, or eight. One. Once? One time. Oh. One time. Okay. <laughs> we we wow. looked up the other day, my, our researcher, for, for countdown, because my, my point was, you know, when people talk about teams and where they're going to come from and how, okay, the Lakers are now two games over 500, what does this mean? And my whole thing is you can't walk into any city and get an automatic two or three wins and two wins anymore. You can walk into Capital One Arena, whatever it's called, or you know Verizon Center or Old Capital Center. Over, let's face it, over the last 25 years, you can walk in and you can know you're going to beat the daylight out of the Bullets or the Wizards. You're going to get well. You can, yeah, not the now. The last 15 in the Chicago. Not now. You can walk in and go, yeah, 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 we got this. Let's, let's rest a couple of people. We got this Cleveland, even you know, before LeBron. And you can, yeah, we got this. Don't worry about this. There's nowhere. There's New Orleans. There's like two places that used to be 15 places like that in the NBA. 
There's now two. And so the, the NFL has this. In that, so everybody's going to express shock today and dismay and say, how could this team lose or how could that team lose? Because everybody's pretty good. Yeah, everybody's got really good no, you're players. Right. You're and right. so this is a new dynamic. What do people, like how people treat this is what I'm really interested in observing over the, in the next few weeks, Tone, because we're going to get to places where now you really think certain teams should win. I, look, I do this pool. I have a pool I'm in. And Tony, it's like throwing darts. You know, I don't have any idea who's going to win a, a game in a given week. And so what's, what's that like in, in a sport where you have had it before, but it's not frequent? And what's it like in a sport where you've never, the NBA's never had parity. It's not set up for that. It's set up for star players to be on stage and slap people around until April. And it's not, it doesn't have that. So what's yeah. that dynamic going to mean? I think it's fun. I agree with you that it's fun. All right, I'll talk to you later. I'll right, talk so. to you later. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. Uh, we will take a break. We'll come back with Lenny Shapiro to talk about Sam Huff, with whom he wrote Sam's uh, autobiography, Tough Stuff. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Indochino ad. Perhaps people have gotten a little too used to wearing sweatpants. Replace a suit that's been gathering dust in your closet and bring looking great back into style. It's not just about looking great. It's about feeling confident and standing out. There's never been a better time to upgrade your look. Indochino's Black Friday event has their lowest prices of the year on suits, shirts, outerwear, and more. Plus, you'll save even more using the code TONYK. Nigel, you are an Indochino guy. Yes, I love my Indochino suits. And just like the copy suggests, I had been wearing... um too many sweatpants and gained too much weight. My Indochino suits did not fit me oh. properly. So it's my guardrail. It tells me, all right, if they don't fit, you've got to lose some weight. Right. I have done that. They fit great again and uh, make me very happy. Look so dapper in them, and you can design them any way you want. It doesn't really cost a lot of money. It's fantastic. Get a wardrobe personalized to your style and taste without spending a fortune, as Nigel suggests. Measure yourself on the website in 10 minutes, then wear your suit out of the box in three to four weeks. Every piece is made to your exact measurements, and you can customize every detail. Choose everything about your suit, including the fabric, lapel, monogram, and statement linings. Nigel has the British flag. You can create a suit that fits you and your style perfectly. And the best part is that Indochino suits start from just $299 and the shirts from $45 with all customizations included. Get away from the video calls and back into looking and feeling amazing. Indochino's Black Friday event runs until November 29th. Save even more and get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the promo code TONYK at Indochino.com. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Promo code TONYK. Don't be a dope. Use the code. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Val McCallum. And Michael Granberry writes, It was my pleasure to write a profile of Val, whose backstory you may remember from a pair of songs you played a while back. His father is British actor David McCollum, Ilya Kuryakin, the man from Uncle, and the late Jill Ireland, a model and actress whose credits include having played Mr. Spock's love interest on a famous episode of Star Trek. Val was also quite close to his stepfather, the late Charles Bronson, the action movie star. Bronson came into his life when Val was four. This is called My Cleveland Heart. This is co-written by Val McCallum and Jackson Brown. You may have heard of Jackson Brown. <laughs> Michael, if people like Val McCallum, I don't know why they would, <laughs> want to send us their original music, how do they do this? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. I'm a big Jackson Brown fan. They play in Lenny Shapiro, my longtime friend from the North Shore of Long Island, Syosset High School. And we wanted to talk to Lenny about Sam Huff is the third time I mention this today. I was gratified that the Washington Post put the obituary on A1 yesterday. And I was happy to see that Lenny wrote a big piece about Sam today. You collaborated with him on an autobiography. How did, how did you come to write it? How long had you known Sam? How did you come to do that? Well, Tony, I had covered the red, uh, part of the expression, the Redskins you could say, back in yeah, the 70s. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, of course, Sam was a broadcaster. We got to know each other uh, that way. But, but the way the book came about was we were both at a Super Bowl uh, in the, in the uh, mid-'80s and uh, on the West Coast, and there had been a blizzard in D.C. And 
Sam was really wanted to get home. Flights were canceled. So he said, come on, get on. Let, let's get on a flight to, to Dallas and we'll stay overnight in Dallas and a Marriott, of course, because he was a vice president sure. of Marriott. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we stayed in, in the uh, bridal suite or whatever the hell it was. Uh, but on the <laughs> flight to Dallas, we st- I started talking. I said, you know, have you ever done any kind of book or anything, Sam? He said, no, not really. Just sort of had to play linebacker kind of thing. But that's about it. So that's that's how it started. Uh, and then we went from there. Uh, the good news is that Sam lives uh, has lived for the last 30, 35 years out in Middleburg, Virginia, where uh, not far from where I live. Uh, so it was real easy. I mean, he's a 10-minute drive uh, to his house, from my house, uh, and we spent uh, the next year or so doing a lot of interviews and uh, about 45, 50 hours of interviews, and uh, that's how it happened. How was he to work with? Oh, he was great. I mean, he, he, I mean, he, he, he had... Uh, he, he had... Re- he had recollections of things that uh, you know nobody nobody could ever have remembered, but but he did. I mean, he remembered going all the way back to to West Virginia and, and growing up in uh, Edna, West Virginia, in Coal Camp Number Nine, which is sort of ironic because his best friend later became Number Nine, Sonny Jurgen. Sonny, uh, yep. but uh, but uh, he he just he had a zillion stories, and we could probably do volume two if if, if truth be told, uh, but. He he just had he had a great memory. Uh, he had a great uh, feel for for cool you know really neat anecdotes, uh, and and he just he just he just went with it. And we had a great time. Yeah, I mean I enjoyed it uh, as much as I've enjoyed doing any kind of story. Over so the much like you, I grew up on Long Island, and number seventy was Sam Huff. You know everybody Absolutely. knew you know everybody knew the Giants were more famous for their defense than their offense. And except yeah. for Frank Gifford, and and number seventy was Sam Huff, and you know I, you never expect that they're going to be good talkers, but obviously Sam was a good talker. Was there anything off limits? Was there anything he said to you? I don't want to do this, or I don't want to do that, or or was was he open to all of it? Nothing. Everything was on the record. Everything was. I never heard you can't use this, but which we both yeah. have heard a gazillion times. Sure, uh, he, he was. Totally honest, uh, and, and uh, by the way, can I give you a quick anecdote about Gifford? Sure. The the one, and I, I wish I'd put it in the piece, but do you remember the incident where Chuck Badnerick uh, almost? Killed oh yeah, Frank? knocked him out. Sure, yeah, it was knocked out for a year. Out. Well, Sam, yeah. well, Sam was describing that. And it's in the book, and and uh, and and the players, you know, they carried. They carried Gifford off the field and into the locker room, and now the game is over. And now, oh, and he also said that it was the first time he could ever remember a player ever taunting uh, another player because there's a great picture of Benaric looking down at Gifford and pointing his finger and saying whatever it was he was saying. Yeah, which Sam didn't know what he was saying, but he had a pretty good idea. So anyway, they they, they win they, whatever they, the game is over. They go to the locker room. And as the team is going down into the tunnel and then through, you know, the, the cavern down down to uh, the dressing room, they see somebody is being wheeled out in a gurney with a sheet over their head. And and the players just, I mean, just sort of stopped in their tracks and said, oh, my God, Gifford died. He killed him. The, the good news is, well, there was no good news because, uh, sadly, the, the guy on the gurney was not Frank Gifford. It was a security right. guard who right. had had a heart attack guarding their locker room. But uh, those are the kind of stories he would tell and it, that, that, that you would never see in the New York Times or the New York Post. <laughs> so, so this is a period of time when, if you are a defender in the NFL, you only have one goal. It is to physically dislodge the ball from the ball carrier, however you can yes. do that. And guys get hit, and they get hurt, and there's no face masks, elaborate face masks like there are now. There's nothing like that. It, it's, it's primitive. It's primitive. And Sam Huff yeah. becomes the first celebrity middle linebacker because of this documentary called The Violent World of Sam Huff, which ultimately yes. is narrated by... Walter Cronkite, and he becomes a big star. Aren't we glad that he was not reticent to become a big star? You know, that, that he, em, he embraced stardom, did he not? Oh. As did Sonny. As did Sonny. Oh. oh, yeah. He loved it. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons he was so upset 
about being traded to Washington, which <laughs> he, you know, he was in New York. You know, he he was at Tush yeah. Shores. He was at yeah. the Twenty One Club. He was everywhere. Uh, he was treated. I mean, he was Mickey Mantle. He was, you know, he was he was Joe DiMaggio. Uh, he was toasted uh, in every way possible. Sam liked it. Uh, he was not an egomaniac by any means. But how could you not like it? Uh, the other thing that that uh, back in that era, they used to chant his name. You know, it was the first time uh, I read somewhere where it was the first time that. Uh, the fans would start chanting defense, defense, you know, that yeah. chant. But they also chanted Huff, 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 uh, his name. Now, how, how good is that? How, how, it doesn't get any better than that for a football player or for no. anyone. Uh, no, you're right. So he, and he, the na- he, he, and he your loved- names are not on the back of the jersey in that time. It's not, no, That's it's exactly not. exactly right. Yeah. They had yeah. to know who this- you were. How did he get in the radio booth? How did he get in the Washington radio booth? Because even though he went to Washington, his great stardom was still in New York. How did he get in the radio booth? Who whose idea was that? Because it's a well, good idea. I, I, I think it was uh, our, our uh, late great friend uh, Andy Ockershausen, uh, who put Sonny and Sam and Herzog together. If I'm not mistaken, uh, I'm, I'm not. You know, that's a good question, Tony. I don't. I don't remember the exact circumstances, but. You know, Sam was always around, and he and as I said, he was a great talker. He had a lot of stories. Uh, they hung they hung around uh, with, with each other. Sam and, and Sonny were great friends. Uh, I don't know if it was Jurgensen's idea. I don't know if it was. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Andy Ockershausen who uh, uh, handled uh, Channel Seven. He was the executive uh, in charge of Channel Seven. He's the guy who who gave us Ken Beatrice, your favorite, oh, uh, I know. among others, <laughs> and. Uh, and, and I think that's how it happened. Um, you wrote a great piece in the, in the paper today. It's a great piece about Sam. But we cannot ignore the fact that Sam did suffer from dementia the last X amount yes. of years. And you think it was because of all the hits he took, right? Because he was the kind of guy who would say to you, what would it, tell the story about counting to four. Tell that story. Yeah, well, Sam, his last season was 1969 when he played and was a player coach for Vince Lombardi. Uh, he told me one night, uh, and, and we're talking about an interview like in, in the in the mid uh, 86, 87, 88, long before we really understood what concussions were and what kind of damage they could produce. Uh, it was always, you know, you got knocked out, go take a lap. Well, Sam was knocked out 10 times that season, he told me. Uh, and, uh, in fact, he, he remembered that Chris Hamburger once stood over and said, come on, old man, get up, get up. Uh but he was uh, ten times knocked out, ten times was taken to the sidelines, and uh, he would sit, that, sit down. Uh, a trainer would come over with smelling salts, I guess, which was, you know, try to get him back into, into the real world. Uh, and uh, the trainer would then hold up four fingers, and Sam would say, well, you know, you count one, two, and the trainer would say, okay, you're okay, go ahead back in. Uh, there was no concussion <laughs> protocol. There was no, no little tent, no. you know, where they looked no. into your eyes and said, uh, Sam, uh, we're taking you to the hospital because you had a concussion and uh, you, you're going to have a real problem. Uh, and he, uh, he he went back and played, and, I, and he wasn't the only one. They all did that. Uh, you know, it was, it was uh, you know, you had your bell rung. That was the great expression, right? Uh, you had your bell rung and, and uh, you, or you saw stars. But uh, he went back and played and, and usually played at the same ferocious level that he always played because uh, he never slowed down. He came out. He literally came out of a coal mine in, in West yes. Virginia when West Virginia yes. was and may still be the poorest state in the United States of America. And he went on to become a very rich man. You know, he yes, had the great deal with Marriott, a very rich man. Right. Did he ever talk about what he came from and how he felt after that being Sam Huff and being, if not wealthy, certainly rich, certainly rich. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. He knew where he came from. He was one of uh, six kids. Uh, His father was a coal miner. Uh, They lived in coal camp number nine, which was, uh, you know, it was subsidized housing by the coal company. So everybody lived in the same kind of house. And he told the story, which I wrote in the piece, about his yeah. father coming home from work every night, and they would literally wheel the bathtub over a drain in the middle of a living room, and his father would get in the bath, he would scrub scrub the coal dust off, but the water was black. You'd open up the uh, the bathtub, and it, the water would drain down underneath the house 
through the drain in the living room. So he knew where, where he came from. Uh, he, he had a, when his parent, when he went to, uh, when he was, uh, recruited by West Virginia university, uh, his, he, he, his parents weren't really crazy about him going off to college. You know, they thought he should get a job right away and help support the family. And Sam, of course, being Sam said, you know, there's no way I want to do something else with my life. And went to West Virginia, but as he grew older, yes, he did very well. Although in the beginning, he did not make much money playing football. Uh, he was furious uh, his rookie year when uh, when he signed. He got a $500. Uh, he was given $500 by then uh, owner uh, uh, Wellington Mara uh, so he could make the transition from college, uh, West Virginia, to move to, to New York. You know, Sam didn't have any money, really, at that, that point. He was newly married. Uh, and Mara gave him 500 bucks, And so now Sam is playing. He makes the team. Uh, and his first paycheck comes in, and it's minus five hundred dollars. And um, he said to Mara, "What's why? Why? What's, what's?" He said, "Well, that's what I gave you." Sam thought it was a signing bonus. Uh, you know, talk about a signing bonus. You know, what are they getting out of signing? Millions and millions of dollars. Uh, but Sam, Sam also was was tight as a tick. By the way, Tony. Uh, yes. You know, he, he he rarely bought you dinner. <laughs> he was he was uh, he treat as somebody once said he treated nickels like they were manhole covers. Uh, but he was, uh, you know, and he never flaunted his money or any of that. He he did very well. He he always had to work in the off season. Uh, he always had to have a job, as most of those players did, because I think the most he ever made was like forty, between forty and fifty thousand bucks a year. Uh, even with uh, Washington, when Lombardi got him out and uh, gave him a little extra money to, to be the coach, uh, but he did very well. He worked for Marriott. He got the job with yeah. Marriott. He had read a story in the Wall Street Journal that the Marriott's uh, the Marriott hotel chain was having trouble attracting. Uh, people to stay on the weekends for some reason. You know, they were mostly considered sort of a business hotel, expense account hotel. So Sam, uh, who had known Mr. Marriott through football, uh, went to went to uh, the head Marriott and, and said to him, "Listen, I can I can. Why don't you let me try and talk uh, football teams into staying at your hotels on Saturday? You know, they'll come in maybe Friday night. They'll stay over Saturday night." Maybe uh, they'll bring they'll bring the cheerleaders. They'll bring the band, you know, the visiting team, uh, and maybe maybe that'll help. And as it turned out, it was a huge, huge uh, financial windfall for for Marriott, and and that's what Sam did. He he recruited college teams and he recruited professional teams to stay at Marriotts when they went on the road, and uh, um, made uh, a lot of money for the chain, and and uh, did very well himself, uh, and. Uh, and of course, you know his his radio gig uh, was lucrative. Yes, he 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 uh, became a wealthy man. Uh, never flaunted it. Was always uh, out in Middleburg where he lived. Uh, he was he was just Sam. Everybody knew him. Uh, he had breakfast every day in the same little uh, restaurant that sadly no longer exists. The coach stop. Uh, he was uh, you'd see him in the aisles at the Safeway, and he'd always stop if you had it question if he knew you he'd stop and talk even if he didn't know you he'd stop and talk just an just a normal guy he was the uh the grand marshal of the famous middleburg parade and then one year he even put on a santa claus suit and played santa claus just a normal guy uh who liked being around people and uh just a, a really really good guy and then wonderful got into stuff. very heavily into horse racing yeah just wonderful thank you lenny and read Lenny's piece today. Get it online if you don't live in Washington. Read the piece. It's a great piece. Thank you, Lenny. Thanks, Tony. Lenny Shapiro, boys and girls, Long Island Zone. We will take a break. We will have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. What's easier than opening a can of cranberry sauce? Getting free life insurance quotes with Policy Genius. Halfway through the month. And they've changed the copy. Yes, they have. That's so good. (laughs) If you're looking for something to do while the family is running a turkey trot, you can be just as productive by comparing quotes from top life insurers with Policy Genius. If someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, an aging parent like me, or even a business partner, you need life insurance. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a top dozen insurers all in one place. Why compare? Because you could save $50 or more on life insurance 
I'm sorry, you could say 50% or more. $50 doesn't cut it. 50% or yeah. more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. Getting started is easy. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees. So head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. He's a doctor. He's not a professional musician. Ian Warrington, he's a doctor. Right. How good is that? Right. How good is that? You got a concussion, and I need to tune this violin. Thank you. Wow. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda, Bethesda Bagels ad, please? Yes. Before I get to the Bethesda Bagels, I want to say a very special congratulations to the Binghamton Bearcats for the first How'd win of the do? season. Who'd we be? 72-60 over um, Sacred Heart and Kellen, famous Amos, with 26 points to lead the way. That's great. Yeah. Sacred Heart, are they D1? I think they're D1. I hope yes. they're D1. They're now just 1-2 and two on the season, but Binghamton 1-1. One and one. So congrats Good. to them. And thank you very much, Bethesda Bagels. We love Bethesda Bagels. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in and you could get bagel sandwiches like we did. I guess that's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say we got rural scenes and magazines. We got truckers on CB. We got Richard Pryor on the video. We got time to think of the ones we love while the miles roll away. The only time that seems too short is the time we get to play. And at that point, Jackson Brown backs away from the piano and someone comes in and sings Stay. Uh, this is a song called The Loadout. This was performed live at Merriweather Post Pavilion yes. in the early 70s, maybe. It's a great tune. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Lenny Shapiro. Thanks to today's sponsor, Solo Stove, Policy Genius Indochino. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. In terms of the mailbag here, this is from Scott Jerome. Um, who writes, I was thrilled to hear you talk about the U.S. Naval Academy on today's podcast, referring back to last week, as my son Alden is a current midshipman, class of 24. I texted him about this nice segment, and he asked me to send him the link. I listened to the pod again in order to find the exact minute when the USNA talk began. My son is a busy guy, so I don't want him to get bogged down in the podcast searching for the Annapolis chat. I found the starting point of the Naval Academy golf course portion at 340 mark. However, the first three minutes were dedicated to traffic, lane changes, and parking. Hope he sticks with it, because your words about the men and women who attend and have attended Navy made me tear up a bit. When you spoke of Commander William C. McCool, I got chills up my spine. So thank you from a proud United States Naval Academy dad, and thanks for the great show week and week. What do you think? Yeah, still trying to back out of that spot, Dad. <laughs> From Steve Sturial of Sturiali in Arbutus, Maryland. My son Nick's high school, Archbishop Spaulding, plays their home matches at the Naval Academy. Fun fact, one of Spaulding's most famous golf alums is Kyle Berkshire. As you can probably attest, being a parent of a golf competitor is the best from a spectator standpoint. You don't sit on cold bleachers, you get to walk beautiful golf courses. Now, unlike you, I had to walk up and down that hilly course, and I agree that number one is a bear. My son is now a senior at the U.S. Air Force Academy, hoping to get into flight school next year. Air Force has 36 holes on its campus, and the blue course is widely thought of as the best of all the military courses. As I've stated in an earlier email, I invite you and Michael up to my course, Rolling Road, right next to UMBC. I know where UMBC is. And you might want to bring Wilbon, as this is a Willie Park design. We just finished redoing all our bunkers, and it's in great shape. From Dr. John Healy, Associate Athletic Director for Academic Support at the United States Military Academy. It is with a heavy heart that I write to you this afternoon. <laughs> After petitioning for several years now for the United States Military Academy to be designated the official service academy of the show, to no avail it became apparent on today's show why these requests have gone unfulfilled. In listening to you wax poetic about your experience at the Naval Academy golf course, it became apparent that you've always likely harbored love in your heart for the boat school. <laughs> Please know that, though the affection may be unrequited, there is a tremendous following and great love for Dr. Grandpa among the Corps of Cadets. There's a standing invitation to come play around at the West Point Golf Course, which boasts a plethora of profound
around plaques and ironically a water view. Thank you. Yeah, it does. I think it's the Hudson. Thank you for your continued support and recognition of the fiercely selfless and remarkable commitment being made by true patriots at all of our nation's service academies. Proud to be the unofficial service academy of the Tony Kornheiser Show. Let me just say this, and I've said this before. Um, my dear friend Nancy Siegel Serafini, her son John, went to the United States Military Academy. I have gone to the United States Military Academy many times in my life to cover football games. I've stayed at what was then called the Thayer Hotel at the United States Military Academy. There is no more beautiful and severe, beautiful and severe spot in America than the United States Military Academy. And when they start walking in in gray, I mean, you stand up. It's, I mean, Naval Academy's beautiful. I'm so glad I played the golf course. Don't want to slight, you know, West Point. Don't want to slight them at all. Uh, from Jason Bufford in Manama, Bahrain. Mr. Tony should consider filing a complaint with the Delaware Public Service Commission. <laughs> Rehoboth Beach may be able to ignore Mr. Tony, but they sure can't ignore the state of Delaware. I want to hold on to this because, again, <laughs> nobody's even called me back. Yeah. Nobody's called me back. A bill of $1,070 for one quarter followed the next year. The same amount of time in the house, $242. Come on. From John in Ellicott City, Maryland. We also had an egregious water bill at our Rehoboth house in the same time period as you. According to our community bulletin board, many people had the same experience. I called the city. I also got the stiff arm. Various hand-waving explanations, like you could have a running toilet or a leak. A toilet that caused 12,000 more gallons of water usage than the same period last year. The city manager did not appreciate my pleas about the absurdity of this notion. And, tends, and, and essentially told me to shut up and pay your bill. This is what I got, too. Mm -hmm. Who's the city manager? It, is, is her name Margaret Carlson? Because I thought Margaret Carlson wrote for Time magazine. I don't want to get them confused. They did, however, offer to put in a new meter, which I took them up on. And since then, the bills have returned to closer to normal. Exact same for me. Water rates were raised last year, so I expected some increase, but not a 400% increase. My conspiracy theory is this. Rehoboth did a large capital project in 2019 to improve the water infrastructure. My guess is it well, went well over budget, so they juiced the town meter readings for one quarter to help cover the budget shortfall. The timing makes sense. Just saying. Wire to wire listening, going back to the very beginning of the WTEM days. Love the 20-year anniversary show you did with the cloth seat, $200 a year wardrobe budget, Andy Poley. Hope you do it again at 30. Man, are we getting old. It's really nice. Sharon Lynn, uh, city manager for Rehoboth Beach. What are you doing to me, Sharon? <laughs> Honestly. From Andy Shaner in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. Didn't he used to be in another city in Wisconsin? Oh, and I'm looking at Margaret Carlson, the executive assistant. So you, okay, you did have that Okay, so correct. I know the name. So, yes. you know, I mean... How many? What do I have to do? I wrote a note. It was a nice letter. I just requested a formal hearing. I think I have that right. And I just, the stiff arm, got the Heisman. Yeah. Got the Heisman. Yeah. Andy Shaner. Just wanted to give a shout out to Kyle Kettleson. Kyle and Ope, guy, both Kyle and I both live in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. But he's currently in Vienna, Austria, singing opera in a production of Mozart's Don Giovanni. I first heard of Kyle when he sent in a jingle some years back, an ode to Reginald in the style of old blue eyes called Fly Me to the Zoo. I host a very <laughs> local TV show in Sun Prairie, and Kyle was kind enough to sit down with me for a delightful interview via Zoom. It was great to connect with a fellow little working halfway around the world, although I'd actually consider him more of a big, at least in the opera world. He's a wonderfully talented singer and a great supporter of local music and arts education in our town. I'd like to put in a request for Kyle's jingle on next week's Reginald segment. Do we have this still? We do. Yeah, we can do that. And also nominate him to be the official opera singer of the Tony Kornheiser show. Denise Graves is nice and all, but can she sing songs about a monkey picking games? Come on now, Denise Graves. We're not, we're not rolling over Denise Graves. No, sir. We're not. We can co-host it. Right. But we're Denise Graves. Thanks for the connective tissue. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. You know, they all get involved, and they all got their gear already, and so they're going to be all colored up in, uh, in the maroon and black and yellow. What? What? <laughs> Somehow, I avoided that thundercloud in the claws of the raven in that other world. Somewhere, there is a future battleground where the burden of 
Open 